You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Well, a big thank you to Black Noise Radio and welcome to Listening Notes, a show about politics, art and activism, conversations with people working to create positive change. I'm Judith Peppard and I'll be taking you through for the next half hour. And I want to acknowledge that 3CR is broadcasting from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of this land. I pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging, and recognize that sovereignty has not been sated and a treaty never signed. What do you think about when you hear the word robo-debt? If you're like me, it conjures up images of the government preying on people, people already struggling financially, standover tactics to get money back. And if you have been involved in robo-debt and it brings back traumatic memories, I I can't think how it could not, Um, just to let you know that we'll be covering that topic today on the show. I'm speaking with Darren O'Donovan from La Trobe University. He's a senior lecturer in administrative law, and his current work focuses on Australia's social security system, tribunal appeals, and the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Darren's written a paper for the conversation entitled The Problem is Not Fixed, Why We Need a Royal Commission into Robo-Debt. So I was interested in why he did think we needed a royal commission into robo-debt. But first of all, I asked him about administrative law, because I wasn't sure exactly what that was. Administrative law is basically um, the law which applies to government decision-making. So it focuses on the power that government has uh, over people that comes from parliament uh, and making sure that government stays within the bounds of the powers that they have. What we do is technically enforcing the words of government against government, because I don't get to argue justice or fairness. I have to argue what the law says. What's really interesting about RoboDebt is the way that technical law, that it was a really serious misunderstanding of the law. RoboDebt has a very important social and cultural meaning about indifference to people and people not having a voice. So as an administrative lawyer, it's been a really interesting four years to see a really shocking failure of governance, all because people have been willing to speak out. So it's been a lovely alliance of the most nerdy people you can meet and people who so often don't have a voice. And that's what's made RoboDebt very special. You do say in your paper that your administrative law colleagues and yourself have watched the robo-debt scandal play out for four years. What are some of the things that you've seen over that time that lead you to describe it as a scandal? When this system became public, straight away, Victoria Legal Aid and others were warning that the central feature of the system, which was the idea that they could average an annual figure, that that did not match the reality of how my students work, how people in the arts sector work. People are in and out of jobs. People are earning a little more one week, 
a little less next week. The heart of this system was a ludicrously crude assumption that never passed the legal sniff test. And I don't think it passed the common sense test because whenever I spoke to journalists or to people on the street and I said they are calculating debts by assuming that you earn evenly across the year, everyone knew that that did not match reality. And we saw wonderful people come forward. It was courageous, but what they did was say, this is not me. The government should know that I'm a student working. I take time off to do my exams. Yes, the issue was technical, but at its heart, it was about how far government had gotten from young people's lives in particular, because most people who got this were young. And working at Latrobe in the North Melbourne, this started for me when my own students came in in December 2016. They came in with the letters and they were asking for extension. And what was really shocking for me was after Christmas, they still averaged their debts on them. That was when I realized that this giant snorting rhinoceros of an unlawful assumption at the heart of the scheme. I found it very scary to watch a thousand days of warnings. So you have people like academics like myself, Victoria Legal Aid, community legal centers, from the very start in December 2016 saying, this averaging is too crude. This averaging doesn't pass the legal test. Then we get the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the independent appeals body, issuing rulings saying, you can't do this. It's not lawful. And they do that continuously across the four years. Most of the people couldn't afford a court. You know, it's only because Victoria Legal Aid as an institution were, you know, made this a real priority and were hard headed and said, we've got to get this into a court because the government isn't listening. We didn't get a court ruling in the end. We got a settlement because it was so obvious. The court found it irrational. You know, you can't minimize. The actual error here in my eyes as an expert. The court found Miss Amato's debt, who was the young woman, again from Melbourne, who went all the way to make the government listen. The court found that it was irrational. It's the most serious finding that can be made in administrative law. It needs to be so unreasonable that no reasonable government would make the decision. So like when I hear the language of legal insufficiency and a sort of idea of a whoops, or uh, my bad, I think the government needs to acknowledge that what actually happened here was oversight bodies failed, the rule of law fell out of the system, and it was ordinary people who had to put themselves on the line, stepping out into the public, and everything that means, they were the ones who had to pull the government back into line with the rule of law. So you do say in your paper that the tide has turned on robo-debt. So for people who may not be aware, what's happened? Uh, what's caused the tide to turn? Up until late November last year, the government insisted that at most 1.2% of the debts were inaccurate. What happened in late November? Victoria Legal Aid's litigation, which had been running like a torpedo under the water of all of this suffering, it ran straight and true. They knew what they were doing. Um, they are experts themselves. And it was heading straight for the federal court. And the government acknowledged at last. They acknowledged 
that you cannot crudely average someone's earnings. You have to get the pay slips. And the issue here is fundamentally not necessarily about big data. It's fundamentally about you need to prove something as the government. You need to prove a person's earnings each fortnight. Basically, what they, up until 2015, Centrelink would directly contact employers and say, can you give us any pay records you have? They stopped doing it in 2015, and they put the onus onto welfare recipients to find pay slip information going back six or seven years. Now, what happened there is so many businesses were closed. Students work in very unstable employment. We know all the underpayment controversies, controversies around employment records, all of that comes into play. And the actual kicker was, on the day this program launched, the department's own website was saying, you only need to keep pay slips for six months. And then they changed the rules on people. They changed the rules on people and said, it's all on you. You reported to us in 2011. You sat at your kitchen table every weekend trying to figure out what your earnings are because it's actually very complicated. We are disregarding that reporting. You need to go and do it all again. Um, and if you don't pony up with the pay slips, we are going to average you. And that was the treadmill under the entire system that people would get letters and they were told clock is running. Find all those employers, all those random business names, go out, get all the get all the information or you get a debt. Or you get a debt. Frightening stuff. I'm speaking with Darren O'Donovan from La Trobe University. I'll continue that conversation with Darren in just a moment. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au. CR knows it's tough times for everyone, but if you can donate even a little, it all counts. And because of COVID, of course, we haven't been able to do our usual fundraisers like film nights and kind of fun times to, to get out and meet a lot of our listeners and, and just enjoy ourselves. So, um, yeah, when we don't have those things going on, it is harder. Please um, donate if you can. Now back to Darren O'Donovan. So in the first section, uh, Darren pointed out the government has shifted responsibility for keeping records, such as pay slips, to the person receiving benefits. But in a time of growing casualization in the workforce, this is not so easy. I only ever met one person who had every pay slip. She had them in a shoebox and she came in and she shared basically that her mum and dad had had terrible experiences themselves, that because of that, it was fear-based, absolute fear. And, you know, I think of that shoebox and it's quite an image of, of the relationship between people and their governments. And when we think about this, right, all the federal court said was, in order to issue a debt, the earnings have to be proved by government. That's a really important protection for vulnerable people because you have people on the disability support pension 
who walked their payslips into Centrelink in 2011 left the original payslips and the figures were entered wrongly. We know of those cases. It can happen in, in a big administrative organisation. Things can get lost. Fairness has slid out of the system. Ordinary people who had to carry this for four years, every time they would demand what we now know are their legal rights, they'd be hit with a what about? What about a bank statement? I think this played very well with the middle class. So the government would say, why don't they get bank statements? Well, bank statements cost money, right? And there was evidence to the Senate inquiry from people who couldn't afford the bank statement. Furthermore, an awful lot of young people move bank accounts. And when you close your bank accounts, you lose historical access to your bank statement. There's strong evidence to say, and as an administrative lawyer, this idea that you can use a bank statement to calculate a debt is under pressure legally. If you're using a bank statement with tens of thousands of people ended up having to do here, you're sitting there with a net amount. And as a lawyer, that is really complex. I think those debts in particular, we need a review in, into those and in particular how they got back up to your gross earnings and what assumptions they made. And the government has made no promise to review those. So you've called and many people have called. I think you said 55% of the community are calling for a royal commission. What will a royal commission give? What will it offer us? Every Australian might roll their eyes at another royal commission. Related to that, of course, we've just seen in the Black Lives Matter demonstrations that the recommendations of the 1991 Royal Commission were not implemented. So both of us, I think, can understand why people are sceptical. But nonetheless, I think you've made a strong case here about the importance of a Royal Commission. I think you can have a really practically focused inquiry because there are concrete problems. Currently, there is a class action against Robodeck. There's no guarantee it will succeed. I think the prospects are very good that it will get the debts refunded and the interest on those debts that looks strong it's very technical as to whether there has been a breach of a duty of care and damages might be payable it will be fantastic if damages are paid to everyone affected by the system the royal commission is the only mechanism to get to every debt and lock in damages right now compensation right now i mean i've already spoken about Bank, the people who, whose debts are calculated by bank statements, I think they need a forensic audit uh, on their files. And the Royal Commission can inbuild an audit process. It can get into the den that is Centrelink's computer system and figure out what is going on. Because there are debts earlier than the computerized robo-debt system issued before 2015 that it appears are lost. They are scattered all the way back potentially to the 1980s and the government has done absolutely nothing practical to find those debts. And I just want to highlight how outrageous I think that is because they have been using these pre-2015 debts, which are much smaller in number, which were produced by bureaucrats in the department closing files. I'd say in one year, there would be 4,000 average debts. When RoboDebt launched, that would be one day's work. There is no equivalence between the pre-2015 debts, which the government are using uh, politically, 
and what the government did and launched in 2015. There is zero equivalence. But the government loves talking about these pre-2015 debts and saying, Labour did it too. Labour did it too, right? Labour did not have reverse onus. So pre-2015, pay slips would always be sought directly from the employer. The averaging would only be done as a last resort by individual bureaucrats. The minister went and did a sample of the 2015 deaths for the purposes of a political defence in Parliament. The only thing the government has done to find these debts was so it could attack Labour. He took a sample of them and used them to answer questions in Parliament and accuse Labour of doing the exact same thing. As an academic, I don't do politics, but every Australian should see how outrageous it is for the minister to do nothing for pre-2015 deaths except get the department to take a sample so he can put some statistics into a parliamentary answer. Personally, as an expert, it's behaviour like that that led me to say, we've got to get this out of the hands of all politicians because it's not an ordinary story. It's not an ordinary failure. I am daily shocked during the past four years at the inability to come to terms with what has been done to people. A royal commission would give people a remedy and it would give people a voice. Darren O'Donovan, researcher in administrative law from La Trobe University, on why a royal commission into robo-debt is needed. We'll hear more from Darren in just a minute. You're on 3CR. The show is Listening Notes and I'm Judith Peppard. It's great to have your company this afternoon. Have you heard it on the news? This fascist growth thing Evil men with racist views Spreading all across the land they're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Fasaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. You are on 3CR, and do remember to contribute to the Station Appeal if you can afford to. And now to the final segment of our interview with Darren O'Donovan. Having explained why a royal commission is needed, Darren goes on to tell us about the challenges of negotiating with Centrelink, and I'm sure many people listening will be all too familiar with those few people appealed debts that we now know are unlawful. The raw power of Centrelink English is so strong that people viewed some of these debts as the cost of doing business with their government and they paid it up or they were afraid and they paid it up. I think we've really got to rebalance the scales and get an independent voice on the department and to reset that experience because it is very traumatic that experience of being so outgunned that you end up paying money that means so much and like fifty dollars a hundred dollars even if the debt is fractionally overcalculated it means so much to people it can change lives 
this system is so dense. Like the social security law, and I'm not bragging about you know my legal knowledge or anything. There is literally, I would say, under a hundred lawyers in Australia who are able to do the ins and outs of the social security law. It's that complex. And the law underpinning people's interaction with Centrelink is so dense, so conditional, that people go into these interactions and they don't know their entitlements. The community legal sector, um, Economic Justice Australia is the umbrella group that I want to mention. They are so underfunded. If you're looking for legal help with a Centrelink matter, you have to log on to Economic Justice Australia's website um, and you'll see how limited their hours of operation are. Only open on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Well, there's something we can change immediately. Legal Aid have been absolutely heroic with this, but again, they have to triage so much because they can't help every person. And like with RoboDebt, we were dealing with 616,000 Australians. And the Not My Debt website was formed. A wonderful group of people, Asher Wolf, Lindsay Jackson, they took extraordinary measures to try to get help to people. But fundamentally, the system is just too heavy on administrative burden. The system is Kafka-esque. All of us should recognize Centrelink as an institution that is absolutely central. It's a piece of national infrastructure which delivers care, protects families, and delivers jobs. And RoboDebt endangered those things, those things that every politician claims to care about. And it did so for the budget bottom line. You cannot starve national infrastructure. They raided a piece of national infrastructure to get budget savings. 3.7 billion was the target at one point. This was the second biggest budget measure in 2015. With RoboDebt, I always think of my own students because they're not going to get that time of their life back. They're not going to get it back. That moment, which we all remember in our careers, right? When you're coming out of university, you're doing those last few exams, you've got 30 application forms to do, and you're hoping to do them well, you know, you've got interviews, so much is going on, and these letters landed in, and they said, get those payslips, get them now, or you're getting a life-changing debt. And the opportunity cost of that, I mean, we talk about fixing it. I just see, not just jobs either, people's health, really traumatic experience. We as a society need to come together to stop it. We need to take this off the table as an option in our public administration. We need to be better to really get the lessons, implement the changes, and remember the people. And that was Darren O'Donovan, researcher in administrative law from La Trobe University, on why the system needs a major shake-up and why a royal commission into robo-debt is needed. Big thank you to Darren for making time for the interview. I know it's a busy time, um, particularly in academia at the moment. So, yeah, great to, great to talk to him. And thank you for tuning in to Listening Notes on 3CR this afternoon. 
And do stay tuned because Diaspora Blues is coming up next. And I have to say, it's one of my favorite shows. Great music and great interviews. See you right here at 3CR, same time next week. Here's a Savior Rudd with Spirit Bird to take you out. Many tribes of a modern kind Doing brand new work Same spirit by side Joining hearts and hands In ancestral twine Ancestral twine Many tribes of a modern kind Doing brand new work Same spirit by side Joining hearts and hands In ancestral twine Ancestral twine Slowly it fades And slowly we fade And slowly you fade You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.